It's been one year since the Seahawks and Broncos shocked the NFL world with the Russell Wilson trade. 365 days later, we're going to revisit the blockbuster and take a look at why it's still at the forefront of the Seahawks' future optimism on a brand new Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm glad to be joined as always by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang, for our Wednesday episode. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. We're officially one week away from the start of the new league year and free agency. So we're going to be taking a close look at several linebackers that might be able to help the Seahawks as they wait for Jordan Brooks to get back healthy. And maybe if Cody Barton is not back this offseason, we're going to be looking at a handful of candidates. Plus, we're going to check out combine and top 30 visits, players that have been linked to the Seahawks heading towards the 2023 NFL draft and see what we can gather from those visits, what types of players the Seahawks might be looking at and some intriguing fits at different position groups. Now for your lead story here on our Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. It might be hard to believe, but it has officially been one year to the day since the Seahawks and the Broncos agreed on a blockbuster trade, sending Russell Wilson to the Mile High City for a boatload of picks and three veteran players. And at the time, this looked like it was going to be a lopsided deal in favor of the Broncos. They finally got their franchise quarterback. Look out, AFC. And instead, the Broncos fell flat on their faces with a five-win season, only four of those wins with Russell Wilson at quarterback. Meanwhile, the Seahawks and Geno Smith rattled off a 9-8 and eight season and made the playoffs as a wild card. It still is stunning to see how things have played out to this point, and I know Broncos fans don't want to hear this, but... The biggest reason maybe that the Seahawks have as much optimism as they have going into this next season, they've got a top five pick and they have the number 37 pick early in the second round that are still coming from this Russell Wilson trade, a chance to continue winning big in this deal. Yeah, Corbin, I uh, I have a couple of buddies who are, are big-time Denver Bronco uh, supporters, and um, they are, are, are none too pleased about the fact that not only did the Seahawks get the better of Denver in this trade immediately in terms of just how Seattle's season turned out, how the quarterback play turned out, obviously, but yeah, also moving forward, Seattle now has the 5th and 37th uh, selections here, you know, and, and so uh, it, it's a the gift that keeps on giving for for the Seahawks right now and, and so yeah I think that the, the Denver Bronco fans out there and, and supporters um, are you know are, are disappointed in how things have turned out and I think the Seattle has got to be really excited right now about the different opportunities that they have we talked about the different quarterback opportunities that they may have at, at number five overall the just the fact that we could see this huge run on quarterbacks early on and perhaps give Seattle an opportunity for you know 
if not the best defensive player in the draft and certainly the second or third best, but you're talking about an elite player. And so, yeah, I think the Seattle is feeling pretty good about how this draft or how this trade turned out. And, and then again, as we talked about yesterday with uh, just kind of congratulating the Seahawks as well as Geno Smith for a contract that looks like it made a lot of sense for both sides. I, again, I think that Seattle's got to be feeling pretty good about the fact that as as many people that just kind of took their shots at the Seahawks and their decision makers for that trade, when it was all said and done, Geno Smith wound up throwing for more touchdowns than any quarterback in the NFL other than Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, and Joe Burrow. I yeah, mean, that's pretty stuff. elite company. <laughs> Exactly. And so, I mean, just stop and think about that for a moment. And then again, with only 12 interceptions, there's only a couple of guys that, that threw more interceptions. That's why he was the most efficient. That's why he was the comeback player of the year. And that's why Seattle brought him back on a three-year deal. And again, has the flexibility now to do whatever it is that they want to do. So, yeah, I think that this, this, I, I'm personally, yeah, I'm, I'm rooting for Russell Wilson to play better moving forward. But I, as somebody who supports the Seahawks, I want to see them do well. Uh, just here locally, I, I think that, um, that yeah, I think that they got to be feeling really, really good about the way that this worked out um, and, and the fact that they should be able to do that much better moving forward. It's still crazy to be sitting here on March 8th, one year after this trade happened, because this was one of those rare trades. And I've been saying this all day. This is one of those rare trades in an era where information is at our fingertips within milliseconds. It's really difficult to stun people. And yet I was just floored when this news broke last year in the morning. I received a couple phone calls like, you better watch out. There is something big brewing. And I, I thought, OK, there's no way this is really going to happen, is it? And sure enough, it did. It was one of those rare trades in any sport, especially one like the NFL that is the juggernaut of professional sports, to just be blindsided. Even with the rumors that have been out there, I still thought they're going to find a way to make this work. He's still got two years left in his contract, and yet here we are a year later, and not only did this trade happen, but the way that fortunes have gone for both franchises. I mean, the Broncos didn't get through the 2022 season without firing their first-year head coach. Because their offense was so bad. They averaged 16.9 points per game last year, dead last in the NFL. Russell Wilson threw only 16 touchdown passes. I mean, I feel like when we read off the stats, it sounds like something that a nine-year-old that is rooting for the Seahawks might have put together for a paper <laughs> for class. Like Geno Smith threw 30 <laughs> touchdowns and wins comeback player of the year, and he gets a hundred plus million dollars on a three-year contract. Like if we were sitting here a year from now and we were able to talk to ourselves and say, Hey, this is what's going to happen. I think you and I, especially you knowing where your viewpoint was that you thought Drew Locke was going to win a starting job. I think both of us would have thrown our heads back and probably laughed. And it's not necessarily mocking Geno Smith. It's just nobody saw that coming and nobody saw what Russell Wilson did in Denver happening either. John Schneider included last week at the combine was asked, did you see him having a season like this? Were you surprised? And he's like, he just simply said, yes, I was. He had to hesitate for a second. because Nobody 
saw that coming in Denver. And then for Geno Smith to do what he did, replacing Wilson under center, leading the Seahawks to the playoffs. I mean, again, this just it, it's been a fairy tale all along. And yet it feels like the fairy tale is still in the middle of being produced. We haven't gotten to the end of the story yet because Seattle has these two very high draft picks. And Obviously, if they don't hit on those picks, then the trade doesn't look near as good. But you already got your franchise left tackle last year, Charles Cross, with one of those picks. You've got Boye Mafe, who's got a chance to be a cornerstone in your defense for a long time. You got him with a pick, and you also ended up getting Derek Young trading down and moving picks. And I believe Tyree, uh, Tyree Smith was another player they got. So those are four players they got out of the picks that they got from Russell Wilson's trade last year that all could be part of this football team for several years, including your foundational left tackle. If you can add another impact player or two here, this really does give off Herschel Walker being traded to the Minnesota Vikings vibes in terms of building a juggernaut on the NFC off of a, a trade of a cornerstone player that you ended up getting the better of the opponent. Yeah, I think it feels that way right now. And I think that that's what Seattle is obviously hoping for at this point. And if Charles Cross continues to be, as you said, a possibly foundational player, but you know, he's only done it for one year. Russell Wilson did it for a lot longer than that and a lot higher level than that. Um, and so I, I think that, again, I, I'm rooting for Russell Wilson. I think that he will have success. This is the coach that I told you from the get-go, you know, that I, I thought that he and Sean Payton, to me, really could do – do some wonders here in this second reincarnation of his career. Um, at the same time, I, I do think that there were some things that were somewhat predictable about Russell Wilson's acclimation to Denver, um, just because the fact that he did play in a system that obviously works. Pete Carroll's system, as we've talked about with all the different number of quarterbacks now who have had success, it, it works. I mean, just the, the proof is obvious now. Um, I, I think that I, we talked about this. One, one of the, one of the kind of hot takes, I guess, that, that I had after Seattle's trade of Russell Wilson a year ago was that, A, the Seahawks were going to beat Russell Wilson and Denver Broncos. Look it up. I called it in the day one. and I You did. You did. I, I believe that was going to happen because, of course, he had a defensive-minded head coach, Pete Carroll, who's going to know what irks Russell Wilson, and I guess the rest of the league caught up with it that quick. The other thing that I think surprised some people was when I said that, that the Seattle's terrible offensive line and that was the reason why russell wilson didn't win more super bowls in seattle because their offensive line was so terrible that they were going to actually give up less sacks even after they decided to start rookie tackles that they were going to give up less sacks than the denver broncos did and that wound up being true the broncos actually finished dead last in sacks allowed this season and, and so to me R russell wilson was part of that problem in seattle all those years and, and so again coming back to the fact that john schneider and pete carroll obviously put their trust in Geno smith and it worked out beautifully for them and, and russell wilson had the horrible season that he had in denver Again, I think that there's still the talent. I know that there's the desire um, to to prove that that was basically just you know kind of a mulligan. You know that was one that you can kind of cast off, and they're gonna you know the, the Broncos, Russ Wilson, have you playing better moving forward. But getting back to the Seattle Seahawks, and again, number five and number thirty-seven overall selections. I mean, how can you not just be as excited as you possibly can? You just brought back the quarterback, as I mentioned before was right there with the elite players in all, all of the position. And you've got him back for three more years on a team-friendly deal that just shows that his heart is in the right place. 
I think Seahawks fans have got to just be, you know, over the moon excited about the prospects that are potentially available to them. We talked about the quarterbacks yesterday, Corbin, but I think that's kind of still, let's be real. That's a little bit far-fetched when you just retained your veteran quarterback that clearly has the heart of, of all the locker room with him. So let, you know, let, let's break down some of these players that Seattle might be able to get on the defensive side of the ball, on the offensive line, wherever, but positions other than quarterback that could put the Seahawks from just being a surprise playoff team to a surprise Super Bowl team, you know, a year or two from now. Yeah, we've talked about time and time again. There's a reason that this is such a critical offseason because you have this abundance of draft capital that you are getting back still from the Russell Wilson trade to further reinforce and bolster this roster that already got you to the playoffs. You're feeling like the best football is ahead of you, and now you can add some more premium talent as a result. So this is going to be a trade we're going to be talking about for several more years because we're going to have to see what these players do, the players the Seahawks to get from these next two picks to go with everything else they've amassed here if Noah Fan ends up lasting more than another year in Seattle. I mean, there's a lot of other questions here, but so far, very lopsided in favor of the Seahawks after one year following the trade. Coming up next, it's almost free agency starting next Wednesday. Which linebackers might be a fit for the Seahawks? And a very good veteran crop, in fact, coming up next week at the start of the year. Rob and I are going to be discussing and debating with our top five linebacker list coming up next year on our Wednesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by FanDuel. We're past the midway point of the NBA season, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and three-pointers trained. I'm a big fan of betting on player props, including FanDuel's player parlay builder. For example, you can bet on Jaron Jackson Jr. to score 20 points in the game tonight at plus 100. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Glad, as always, to be joined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s, whether you're listening in Iowa, you're listening in Florida, or overseas in Sweden. We greatly appreciate you making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Free agency is officially going to kick off next Wednesday, a week from today. Hard to believe that we're almost to the start of the new league year, but it happens real quick once you have the combine and the senior bowl and all that stuff get done. Free agency is right around the corner. Seahawks not going to have a ton of flexibility, but they've certainly got a few positions that they could look to bolster in this year's free agent class. And one that you and I both agree on, it could be a position group that makes sense for the Seahawks. We know Jordan Brooks is recovering from a torn ACL. Cody Barton's going to be a free agent himself. This is not a great linebacker draft class. There's some really good players at the top, but it's kind of a top-heavy group and not a lot of big-bodied linebackers that fit a 3-4 defense. So this might be the one position on defense where it makes a lot of sense to maybe spend a little bit more money to bring in a seasoned veteran or maybe even a younger player that can be here for a while next to Jordan Brooks and certainly some intriguing names, some really good young players that are going to be hitting the free agent market most likely. 
Yeah, Corbin, I, I'm really intrigued. That, that was the word that you used, and I 100% agree with it. Uh, really intrigued by this veteran free agent linebacker class. And it, as you alluded, uh, you know, part of it is because I just don't like the rookie class. I think that there's some solid players out there. I think that that's probably the more likely scenario for the Seahawks because, again, with 10 draft picks, with the history of hitting on linebackers that the Seahawks have, you, you don't want to pay guys on their second or third contracts. I think that's something that we have to just kind of mention right off the bat but my goodness are there a lot of good veteran linebackers out there i mean obviously the most recognizable one is bobby wagner it is now available to seattle but he is not the top guy on my list he's not the top guy on your list and as you mentioned that there's some younger prospects out there I, I went with one of the youngest players that i ever saw that i saw you know youngest player i saw in the college level, who once I saw him, I thought, well, that's an NFL player right there. I mean, this guy in a couple of years is going to be a monster in the NFL. That's exactly what Tremaine Edmonds. I talked about him before with the Buffalo Bills, that just the length, the physicality, that he is much more inconsistent. And that's the thing, Corbin, that, that's the scout in me, is I see a guy who has flashy traits. And, and I see a, a, a player that I think that a, a guy like a Pete Carroll, like a Clint Hurth, that they might just be able to unleash a different caliber of player than we've seen. And that, that's dangerous considering the, the caliber of coaching that Tremaine Edwards had in Buffalo. I, I'm a big fan of what they were doing there. But at the same time, to me, he is a really intriguing player, but he's not the only one. I mean, Jermaine Pratt from Cincinnati, David Long from Tennessee, Again, Bobby Wagner, obviously. Drew Tranquil from the Chargers. Levante David from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Hey, if I want to go, you know, really being a little bit more economical, going with, with some of the kind of the, the small school or the kind of diamond in the rough type of guys that is, as free agents, no one's really talking about. But Caden Ellis from the Saints. That there are a lot of linebackers. Corbin, I sent you a list that I mean, it had to look like you had to read it like Shakespeare or something. It's it was a novel. Story. You sent me a novel. <laughs> exactly. And, that, and that's my point is that like I just think that this linebacker, off ball linebacker class, is good enough that you don't have to necessarily invest a great deal of money in one a player like a Tremaine Edwards. Sure, if that's what if that's where you decide that you want to spend your money, great. Because again, I think that that's a need for Seattle. But my, my bigger point here is I think that you could wait and play the slow game and bring back a veteran, bring back a, a, a Michael Kendricks, for example. I mean, you, there, there's some players out there that uh, that you can bring back, uh, excuse me, Eric Kendricks, um, that you can bring back that, uh, you know, or not bring back, but you, that are veterans that I think that you can bring to Seattle on those veteran deals late where they don't get the interest that they're they thought they might because all these young players just signed. The draft just happened. Bring one of those players in that I think might provide you the physicality, the mentality that Adrian Peterson brought the running back, that Bruce Irvin brought to the edge rushers a year ago. Bring that now. Maybe that's Bobby Wagner. Maybe it's one of these other veterans, but there are a lot of them. And that's why I think that this will be a position that Seattle should tap in veteran free agency. Yeah, I think that that strategy makes some sense. The issue that you're going to be dealing with is – some of these guys that are better fits for your scheme, I have a feeling are going to be players that are going to get plucked up a little bit quicker. Sure. And looking at the top of my list, you and I have the same two players. But the big difference is 
I'm a bigger fan of Jermaine Pratt when we look at where he could potentially fit in Seattle. And I like Tremaine Edmonds. He is a fantastic athlete. And we're talking about a kid that coming into the NFL ran a 4-5 at 250 pounds. So he's one of those freak athletes. He's got the size to be able to play in a 3-4. And yet I look at his skill set. He is a great athlete. Sometimes has his issues getting off blocks. I don't know necessarily that he would be the best fit playing in the scheme that the Seahawks have now. They were still playing a 4-3 or their hybrid 4-3 that they did for most of Pete Carroll's time here. Then I am hitting my fist on the table saying, let's pay that guy $10, $11 million. Let's really bring in an upgrade. But I think Jermaine Pratt is a player that is incredibly underrated that's been overlooked because Cincinnati the last two years, they made the AFC title game and the Super Bowl in consecutive years. And they've got some other really good defensive players that have gotten more of the buzz. But Jermaine Pratt is a player. The last two years, Rob, 190 interceptions – or not interceptions, 190 tackles, three interceptions. I was already thinking picks. So if he had 190 interceptions, the guy is going to make $600 billion this year. But I digress. 190 tackles, three interceptions, nine pass breakups. He can blitz some. He's 250 pounds. He's a good downhill player. He excels at shedding blocks. He just looks to me like a player who could really fit in the middle of Seattle's defense if they're looking for that bigger thumper that can also play coverage and has athleticism. And oh, by the way, you know, Edmonds is 25, Pratt's 26. They're both in the prime of their career. So you have to pay money to do that. But this would be something that to me would be worth the investment, bringing in a guy that's a good scheme fit that also is extremely productive, which Jermaine Pratt certainly has been the last couple of years for the Cincinnati Bengals. Still a very young player that seems to still be coming into his own, might have his best football still in front of him. So those two players you're going to have to spend money on. And then when you look beyond that point on my list, I've got Bobby Wagner at number three, just because we know that he is still a very good football player. Even though he's approaching his 33rd birthday, doesn't move quite as well as he used to. He certainly doesn't run like Pratt and Edmonds do in their mid-20s. But he's such an intelligent player, high IQ, that that helps compensate for the loss of athleticism a little bit. And we know that he's extremely productive, racks up tackles and bunches, six sacks last year. I mentioned this yesterday, I think in a 3-4, he might be a better fit at this stage of his career because he's not going to have quite as many bigger coverage responsibilities. You have more flexibility to blitz him. And then Eric Kendricks, who we just found out in the last few days, is one of those guys, unfortunately, that got his walking papers all this guy has done, he's been in the shadow of Bobby Wagner, and most recently, he's also been in the shadow of Fred Warner, the two elite linebackers in the NFC. He has been a first-team All-Pro before, though, seven straight years with over 100 tackles, 15 career sacks. He's a weapon blitzing, and he has some prior experience playing in a 3-4 defense in the NFL level. He's 31, so he's not much younger than Wagner, but he was still very productive on a defense that had a lot of issues scheme-wise in Minnesota last year. You bring him in, I think that would be a really nice consolation prize for a Bobby Wagner reunion. And the last player on my list is a guy that actually has worn a Seahawks uniform before just in practice as a tryout player, and that was Alex Singleton coming out of Montana State. And it might surprise some of our listeners that I have him this high on my list, but I know watching Denver Broncos games last year was very painful because of how bad that offense was, but the defense was still really good. And one of the players that was an anchor for that group was Alex Singleton. He had 163 tackles last year for the Broncos. He's only 29 
And he is a player, even though he's only 240 pounds, he plays much bigger than that. He's tough. This is a guy that bounced around with four or five NFL teams, he even spent time in the CFL before coming mm-hmm. back over the NFL. So he clearly has the grit and the boulder on his shoulder that Pete Carroll covets. And I don't think you'd have to break the bank to bring him in, especially with some of these other linebackers we just mentioned. So I'm a big fan of Singleton. I love what I saw on tape in Denver last year. And we know they run a lot of similar stuff. Even after moving on from Vic Fangio, they had some similar stuff they did with their defense. I think he would be a seamless transition. And so any of those five players could make sense for varying reasons. You have more experienced guys like Wagner and Kendricks. And then you have a player like uh, Singleton, who's now played quite a few snaps, but also had a long road to get to the NFL. And you got two really young players in Pratt and Edmonds who are going to be breaking the bank. And if Seattle wants to find a way to spend that kind of money, that might be a position that is worth doing so. It is. That's the thing. I mean, you just riled off five names. I mean, again, it's just the, the three veterans of the bunch and, and Bobby Wagner um, and, um, uh, you know, Levante David. Um, and then, as you mentioned before, with Kendricks, I mean, just right there, you have some really good football players. And, and, and we mentioned a bunch of the younger players as well. I mean, Singleton. You mentioned the CFL time, uh, you know, Corbin, I was in Denver, got a chance to watch their, you know, some of their, their training camp. Um, the Broncos were nice enough to have me there in my official capacity is a scout for the BC Lions. And Alex Singleton was a, as an ex CFL player, recognized the BC Lions, kind of gave me a little bit of a, you know, kind of an acknowledgement and we kind of chuckled and you're right because of that. I watched him this year. He had a terrific season for the Denver Broncos. I think that he is somebody that Seattle and many other clubs would be interested in. Um, You know, I I think that one of the things that we've seen Seattle do is try to steal from uh, opposition, uh, steal from some of their divisional rivals as you hear from uh from the san francisco 49ers is another one who has the speed and athletic ability he's not a thumper he is very different than pratt and some of the other linebackers that we talked about but you know it, it remains to be seen if seattle's going to be able to to bring back their own free agent at the position in cody barton and if that's not the case then suddenly they have all kinds of different decisions they have to make at, at linebacker so to me it's really going to be fast i think you have to look at all kinds of different linebackers and that's why i mentioned guys like a drew tranquil or uh, again, Al, Al Shahir from the 49ers, they're, they're not that traditional 3-4 linebacker, but they do have enough ability in coverage. And that's where the game is going, of course, that, uh, that I think the Seattle is going to have to consider players like that as well. Let's shift gears from free agency and some of the elder statesmen in the league to the rookies that are incoming. And we know that draft fever is here and it's going to be here all the way until the end of April when we actually get to the festivities in Kansas City. And one of the things that fans get extremely excited about, and I'm going to be honest, I get fired up about it too. I have seen some other reporters that have mentioned, why are we wasting questions at the combine asking about visits? And I am not one of those people that just point blank says, hey, Joe N., did you visit with the Seahawks? But I might link a question that I asked that has a lot more tangibility to it. I might link, hey, did you visit with the Seahawks to it? Because I do think that it is worthwhile. And, oh, by the way, Abe Lucas had a combine visit with the Seahawks last year. Boye Mafe and Derek Young had top 30 visits. So they might not always draft a ton of guys they visited with, at least what becomes publicly known, but – the people that say they don't draft people that they visit with uh, last year was living the case when players they have drafted have had meetings with them, even in a combine or top 30 visits. And 
we're starting to now get these puzzle pieces going together, Rob. And I know you are very excited about this because there are some big names that have met with the Seahawks either at the Combine or going to be meeting with them in a top 30 visit. Now, looking at the players that have visited the Seahawks in a formal visit in the Combine last week, these are the nine players that I can confirm. Now, there are a few other players like Michael Wilson, the receiver from Stanford, uh, Adabare from Northwestern has also been linked to them, but I have not gotten any official confirmation. They had formal meetings at the combine. I'm sure both those players have met with the Seahawks, at least at the senior bowl or some point this off season. But these are the nine players that we know met with the Seahawks in formal meetings last week. Anthony Richardson, the quarterback from Florida, he has publicly talked about how much he enjoyed hanging out with Pete Carroll, and that's drawn a lot of buzz. Uh, there's a lot of prospects that feel that way, unless your name is Sauce Gardner. Zach Charbonnet from UCLA, former Michigan running back. John Michael Schmitz, the center from Minnesota. We've talked about him a lot. Mike Morris, the edge from Michigan. Nolan Smith today found out on uh, Josina Anderson's podcast that he has had a visit with the Seahawks. It sounds like he would love to play in blue and green to start his NFL career. Dan Henley, the linebacker from Washington State. Julius Brents, the 6'3 athletic corner from Kansas State. Keely Ringo, another big-bodied corner from Georgia. And Jail Skinner, the safety from Boise State. Rob, there is a lot of really talented football players on that list. And quite frankly, a lot of players that I expect are going to be gone in the first couple of rounds. It's not surprising the Seahawks are meeting with a bunch of players like that, though, because they have four picks in the first 52. <laughs> that list was just pure star power, Corbin. I mean, that, that was an exciting <laughs> list. I mean, I think it's almost like Josh Lamp, Pete Carroll, uh, and, and their scouts at the Combine basically said, all right, let, let's put together a list of players that we think are going to be superstars in the future, and we can at least say, hey, we did our due diligence with these guys. We met with them because, I mean, talk about a wide gamut of different positions, of different uh, you know, schools and, and levels of competition as far as the you know, Big Ten or SEC or the Pac-12. We've talked about the, the Wazoo linebacker, of course. I'll, I'll start with Dayon Henley, for example. There, there might be some Seahawks fans out there who are like, this guy's playing in your backyard. I mean, obviously, Pullman is far from your backyard in Seattle, but still. The, the fact is that he plays in the Pac-12, and, and so why would you need to have an interview, a formal interview with him at the Combine when you should know him pretty well? Um, you know, same with John Michael Schmitz, who the center for Minnesota, you should know him pretty well. John Schneider and, uh, you know, was very much up close and personal during the offensive line uh, and defensive line battles at the uh, at the Senior Bowl. If you, had, if you want to talk to these guys, then maybe you should have at the Senior Bowl. I think they probably did. And I think that they're doing it again. And so to me, that's one of the exciting things is that that to me suggests that Seattle is very much all in at the center and off ball linebacker positions, just like they are at the quarterback positions. And they've identified these two players and John Michael Schmitz and Dayon Henley as two of the guys that potentially could fit. I think when you look at a player like, say, a Dewan Jones, who is reportedly the, the Ohio State right tackle, who has reportedly met with the Seahawks as well, I, I, I think that that's going to create a whole bunch of buzz out there because obviously Seattle has the, the rookie tackles that they played a year ago and did very well, uh, you know, in Charles Cross and Abe Lucas. And, and so where is Dewan Jones at 6'8", 360 pounds? You can't move him inside. He's way too big. You know, he's, he's clearly going to play tackle. Why would you do an interview with him? Well, I think for one, when he's 6'8", 360 pounds, if the guy's special, he could be special. 
And he is yeah. the mountain off Game of Thrones. That's what he is. <laughs> exactly. You know, I mean, uh, I, don't, I don't know Game of Thrones well enough to try and spit out a reference, but I should. And it's a damn good show. Anyway, but my point is, is that I, I think that you you have to do your due diligence with guys who are special. And then also, you know, this kind of stuff is more complicated than just, oh, we like this guy. Let's interview this guy. It's we like this program. Who, Dewan Jones, for example, who was the toughest guy on your team? Was it the center, Luke Whipler? Because we've shown some interest in him as well. What was it, you know, when was the wide receiver, Jackson Smith and Jigba? What was the locker room like when Jackson Smith and Jigba decided that he was not going to play quite as many games this season as the Buckeyes thought when they're going for a national championship run? You're going to be asking questions about other players. You're going to be just not necessarily just to see what what they say about these other players, because most guys are going to be teammates. They're going to stick up for their teammates. But that's why you want to ask them to see if they're going to stick up for their teammates, to see if you're, they're the kind of guys that the Seahawks uh, you know, are, are looking for. Because, again, it's, anybody can watch the tape. It's, it's really getting to know the, heart, the minds and the hearts of these young men. That's the whole purpose of these interviews. And that's why I am fascinated by Seattle's list. There will be players, I expect, that they interviewed formally at the combine that will wind up being draft picks, as was the case, obviously, with DK Metcalf, what was the case. Um, and, and so, again, to me, it's a, it's a fun exercise to look at this list. But also, I don't think that this just means definitely they're interested in that player. I think it's a very strong indication they're interested in at least one of the players from that player's program. And I'm glad that you mentioned Metcalf because that's perfect lead-in for what I'm going to add to this. You look at Dewan Jones, and just to clarify, he is scheduled to visit for a top 30. I don't believe that he has been out there yet, but he is it's one of seven teams that were reported today. And then I did some digging around, and he is certainly expected to come out. But it's another player that has freakish either physical traits or athletic traits or both of them. And we know that Pete Carroll and John Schneider, they gravitate to players like that because we've seen him draft DK Metcalf. We've seen him last year draft Tariq Woolen. We know the freak that he is athletically at his size. They cannot resist players like that. But they also want to really dig into the character. And John Schneider emphasized that last week. We know what happened with Malik McDowell in 2017. They want to avoid a similar situation when there's red flags like that that are present that they knew about. They didn't think he was going to get an ATV accident, but they knew that there were some maturity question marks. There were some behavior question marks, and they still made that pick anyway. So they have really put further emphasis on that. Let's dig into the character that we're dealing with just as much as the athletic traits just as much as the physical traits but that doesn't mean they're not going to be looking at guys like this they're going to be bringing in a player like dewan jones and if they fall in love with him if he's a player they're interested in you know maybe that means abe lucas moves into guard i know that drove people crazy on social media when i mentioned that today but john schneider's going to look for the best players now he's not going to be just picking guys for a need anymore he has had a couple big misses doing that in the last few years, and he has moved away from that. So if there's a right tackle that is their best player available and they think that Abe Lucas can play inside, I wouldn't put it past him. But the point is they're going to look at players and they're going to bring them in when they have unique skill sets or they have unique size. Or it's a player like this that gave up no sacks and four pressures at Ohio State last year. He's a pretty damn good football player on top of being a massive human being at 6'8 with almost 37-inch long arms. I mean, this guy is just a freakish specimen. 
at right tackle. And then you look at some of the other players that they have. I'll put the list up again for our YouTube viewers. But we know Anthony Richardson is one of one in the quarterback position at 244 pounds running a 4-4-3. And then you've got a player like Nolan Smith that ran the fastest 40 time we've seen for a guy at 238 pounds. Two, or, uh, 4.39 seconds. And then Julius Brent with his freakish three-cone drill at six foot three. Keely Ringo ran a 4.35 at 6'2", over 200 pounds. JL Skinner is 6'4", 211 pounds. We didn't get to see him work out at the combine because you're recovering from a pectoral injury. But you watch the tape, the guy has great ball skills, and he comes up and smacks people. He says his icon, the player he brands himself after, is Cam Chancellor. Of course, John Schneider and Pete Carroll are going to try to get an interview with a guy like that. So I think you can really hammer home the point that they are doing their due diligence on guys that have unique traits. And I think they're also looking for guys that have unique mindsets. And as you said, in case with a guy like Dewan Jones, it might also be, yeah, you played with Luke Whippler. You know, what was it like playing with him? Or C.J. Stroud, how does he galvanize the offense? Like players that they might be interested in from that program, that might be the case with the other players that we have on there as well. But I think there's a number of these guys that's interest in them because they have those unique traits and those unique athletic specs that really stand out. And we've seen the Seahawks pick a lot of players that check off those boxes. Yeah. And, and thank you for, for correcting me there, Corbin, because that, that is an important distinction in terms of the, the, the visits at the combine and then those top 30 visits to your team facility. Uh, so that with Dewan Jones, I, I think, again, I think it just demonstrates that Seattle is legitimately interested in him as a player. Um, and, and for those of you just quickly, 10 second version, um, for those of you who are worried about, uh, you know, Abe Lucas, I mean, I think that it would be a compliment if you are a second year tackle if they're talking about moving inside the guard that I, you, I guess you could take that as like it's a slap in the face you can't you weren't successful Abe Lucas was successful he's also damn physical and, and he could make that transition inside the guard because again he plays with the physicality nastiness to perhaps do that if you were able to get an all galaxy type talent that perhaps Dewan Jones could be and, and so that's why I think the Seattle would be exploring that but you know again it, it's the the guys that have some special traits. I mean, Keely Ringo, a Tacoma kid who ran a 4-3, who won the national championship for the Georgia Bulldogs with the pick Is six working out with Richard Sherman. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and, and again, I mean, he beat Bryce Young, a quarterback that perhaps could fall to you at number five and that you might be, be looking at, you know. And so talk to Keely Ringo, you know, again, about what did you see on film that helped you jump that ball? Um, you know, uh, the, Nolan Smith, his teammate, the edge rusher is coming off of the injury, but you know, I, he is a player. He's one of my favorite players in this class, Corbin. I mean, I absolutely love Nolan Smith and, and he is a guy that I think is kind of a, a real wild card option. You were, I think very wise in putting him in Seattle at number 20 in your mock draft, I believe. And, and I think that he might be one of those players. I don't know that he'd make it to 20, but I don't know that you want him at five. But I think that there's a million scenario, trade down scenarios in which Nolan Smith makes some sense because he does have that dog factor to him as well as the pass rush ability. I think that he would be widely viewed as a top 10 caliber player had he played his entire you know, final season with, with the Bulldogs. Um, and I, I'm just that, that high on his game. Um, you know, and so again, to me, and of course you mentioned Julius Brents and, and I mentioned before the, the center uh, in, in John Michael Schmitz. I mean, to me, 
again, what this suggests is that Seattle is absolutely doing their due diligence. They recognize their areas of concern um, and they are going to investigate all of them. And uh, I, I, again, I, as, a, as somebody who is following Seattle and what they're going to be doing on draft day, I would think that Seahawks fans should be as just ecstatic with how this is going so far because Seattle does have so many options and this looks like a draft that is uniquely suited to fill Seattle's biggest areas of concern. And most notably, as I keep mentioning, they have four picks in the top 52. So this is not one of those years where, why are we interviewing all these guys we probably won't have a chance to get? They are going to have a number of draft picks early where they get a chance to maybe get a handful of these players that are top tier, first, second round caliber guys. And so you got to do your due diligence, and that's what the Seahawks did at the Combine, and that's what they're going to start doing now with their top 30 visits as well. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbett Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks. We're on all major podcast platforms and streaming video form five days a week. Coming up tomorrow on our Thursday episode, we're going to check out Seattle's free agents on the restricted side of things, headlined by Ryan Neal, and we'll be taking a look at the offensive line, some guard free agents that could make sense for the Seahawks as we get closer to the start of the new league year. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Go Hawks.